I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the weekend review, what TV shows and movies we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the primary focus is a follow-up to last episode where we finished our trip going backwards through time with our list of our favorite 30s films and we did a shout out if you listened to our favorite silent era film as well so in this episode the main event will be our major blind spots that still exist after all of that and our favorite discoveries through this journey of going backwards for, uh, through time will be our focus on film faves in this episode. But first, I must make a correction. I made a boo-boo. I made two boo-boos. You were perfectly fine, Shanna. Yes, I, so perfect. Yes, I made the mistakes. First of all, when talking about modern times, you, Shanna, you did the correct thing. I did not. You said correctly that the movie's from 1936. For some reason, I said the movie's from 1933, so I apologize for that. Then, when we were talking about silent films, I mentioned The General. I said it was from 1925. It's actually from 1927. I don't know why I thought it was from 1925. Momentary lapse in judgment. A temporary insanity, that's what I say. So, end of housekeeping. I have made my corrections. Forgive me. Now let's move on to the week in review. Shanna, you have a TV show you caught up with that you want to tell us all about. What was that? I got to watch Westworld Season 3, and I loved it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than the second season, so that was great. I think I enjoyed the first season more because, you know, it's the first season. Okay. And the first season was pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot of action in this one. I was watching some of it while my charge was asleep in the other room, and I didn't realize he was there, and I felt really bad. Mm. There's a lot of gun shooting and a lot of things. I don't know how to best describe it without spoiling anything, but it's important to know that, you know, you've got the main characters all over again. So Tundi Newton, Ivan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, Ed Harris, Tessa Thompson, and, you know, there's a Luke Hemsworth in there. Then we have someone new. We have Erin Paul from... Breaking Bad, yeah? That's exactly it. Yeah, so she, uh, he is in there and that's pretty fun. I feel like Westworld season two and three are shows that you have to binge watch because mm. if you take any breaks, you might lose a rhythm. I felt definitely that way when I had to take a little breather. They're exploring new things. They're exploring outside of Westworld. So that's pretty cool. And what they're capable of. So it was a very good show. So you said that it's better than season two, correct? Season three is? That's what I think, yeah. Okay. But not better than the first season. No, like season one kind of has a special place mm. for me. Okay. 
they're doing really interesting things with that that season and then season two and season three it, it almost feels like we're going in a completely different direction so if someone's a fan of the first season but had a real hard time with season two you recommend that they stick with it push through it and get to season three I almost feel like you don't even have to watch season two. You really? Could... Look, like there are some people that hated season two. So then I say just read about season two, read all the spoilers and things, and then watch season three. Interesting. All right. All right. So I actually saw a couple movies uh, this since the last episode. The first one I saw was The Hunt which actually came out, I think it came out right before the pandemic. It came out sometime earlier this year. can't quite remember. It's a political comedy, or it's, it's sort of, somewhat of a, yeah, somewhat of a political comedy. Basically, it's about a bunch of these uh, people. They wake up in a field, and they discover that ultimately they are being hunted. This movie is loosely kind of inspired by the old, I think, Rudyard Kipling story, or The Greatest Game or something like that, The Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but with a sort of a, a present-day spin on it, where the people who are being hunted are ultra-conservatives. They're being hunted by rich ultra-liberals, basically. <laughs> no. Yeah. So this movie... No, who made this? Did a conservative make this? What is happening? I know it was co-written by Damon Lindelof. I'll have to... I'll have to look up who directed it. One second. But basically, this movie is really brutal. The violence is uh, quite gory at times. So if you're into that sort of thing, it's definitely for you. It has quite the cast, but I am very reluctant to mention the cast because what it does is it it will have somebody in the movie and then that person will die within two minutes, all just suddenly. The person who directed it was Craig Zobel. He previously did an episode of Westworld, as a matter of fact. It looks oh. like maybe season two. Oh. And he did, he's done a, an episode here or there of, of basically some cable TV shows. But he did Compliance, Z for Zechariah, which was all right, and some TV work on this film. Uh, the movie's fine. It's it, it got quite controversial. People assumed it was going to be some sort of a polemic against the quote-unquote what are they called deplorables and it was just going to be this incredibly divisive movie it's not really it actually basically asserts that liberals and killing each other through misinformation and assumptions if they carry on the way they're going so both both sides are actually targeted by this movie i will say there is one castmate in the film betty gilpin from glow she is awesome. She's awesome in Glow. She's awesome in this movie. Love her. Loves to see more of Betty Gilpin. Is that Liberty Bell? Yes. From Glow? Correct. Nice. Very good. Yes. But that's about all I will say about it. I give the film a 7 out of 10. It's not outstanding. It's not great. It's definitely not terrible. But it's actually pretty good. 
Next, I saw Midway by Roland Emmerich, Ye of Independence Day and The Day After Tomorrow. Apparently, this is a film that he's been wanting to make for a very long time. And, you know, until last year or the year before, finally got uh, approval. It came out last fall, I believe, uh, somewhere around November or December. So I'm just now catching up to it. It pretty much got very divided reviews. People either loved it or hated it. I can kind of understand why. Here's the thing. You know in Independence Day, that scene, Shanna, when they're at the, the Air Force Base and all of a sudden the aliens start invading the Air Force Base with their ships and shooting it up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so it's like that, Midway is, as an entire feature. In the uh, sense that like, there's a lot of attacks on... Air Force bases, or not Air Force bases, but, you know, military bases on aircraft carriers, etc., etc. You know, lots of, uh, well, jets, I guess. You know, airplanes flying and uh, doing all sorts of maneuvers and shooting up things on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. With characters that, you know, you barely know or don't have a whole lot of connection to. Actually, I will say... I had more of a connection to the characters in all of Independence Day than I did to the characters in Midway. Oh. That's the biggest problem with this film is I, it, there's not much of a connection to the people going through the battle, going to battle, or what have you. It does try to focus on both American and Japanese uh, soldiers, or commanders, or what have you. But it does seem like mostly the Japanese exist to explain different uh, strategies and and different disagreements among the ranks, and basically also to try to sidestep any accusations of complete xenophobia, because the you know it's not just like the Japs are evil or anything like that kind of thing even though you do get period phrasing in the film but what's what's worthwhile about the film is not characters not terribly story but really more the 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 battle scenes they're very well staged for the most part i will say the pearl harbor sequence in the beginning isn't that great this you could tell that they're using a lot of green screen a lot of stages not much of it feels real and the special effects kind of suck in that sequence but the rest of the film i think it's an hour 40 minute film or so uh the rest of it is actually pretty interesting pretty engaging and exciting as far as the battle scenes go and it tries to honor the real men by having people actually play real uh servicemen uh, which apparently there was a Midway film in the 70s starring Charlton Heston. And apparently that did not do that. It had completely fictionalized names and stuff. So, you know, this there is some honorable intentions behind this movie. But I give it a 6 out of 10. It's in by far no way the one of the great war films of our time. It is fine. It is okay. It is not great. And that so that is midway from late last year. 
Now, Shannon, you and I saw three other films trying to catch up with, uh, well, mostly this year's releases, I believe. The first one was The Old Guard, which is a Netflix film that made a big splash for about a week. It stars my favorite, Charlize Theron. That's right. I was about to say it stars Charlize Theron. Anybody else like that we know well? From that movie that stars in it? No. Uh, it basically, Charlize Theron leads a group of immortals. This is based on a graphic novel. I don't know if it's a series or if it was a one-off, but it's, but it's by one of our favorite writers, Greg Rucka, who did a great run of Wonder Woman in the early 2000s that we read recently. Oh, I really like him. Uh, this book apparently came out around 2013, 2012 or something. Anyway, so this movie came out a few weeks ago, a couple, two, three weeks ago. And it's an action film. Made a big splash. Shanna, what did you think of The Old Guard? I really like the story. I like the concepts that they had, the world building, how useful the immortals are and what they're capable of. I really loved Charlize. I love her in basically anything she does. I love her all the time. So that was really nice. I loved the story. The story was really interesting. It really felt like they put a lot of stuff into, you know, it felt like they were taking Watchmen and making it one hour, you know. So I felt like there was a lot that they were trying to cover in this movie, which was fine. I think they did it really well. There was, I haven't read the, the, the graphic novels, so I don't know for sure anything but i i loved the characters i loved how they interacted with each other i loved what they were capable of and how their world works uh was really interesting to me could you explain your comment about the watchman the comparison to watchman well you know how watchman is a really dense story and if you had to take Watchmen and put it into a one-hour movie, you'd have to cut stuff or try and shove stuff in there. So at times, this movie felt like, oh, it looks like they, they're they trying to get something done, and mm. they kind of rushed that concept. I would have liked to have heard more about that concept, you know? Mm. Yeah, uh, point of clarity, this is definitely more than an hour. It's like, I think, about two hours of this film. I don't know. I was very mixed on it. I thought it had some interesting ideas, like this idea of the longer you live, the more ripple effects your life creates in the in the world and how it affects more and more people over time. Uh, there's there's ideas like that. That's interesting. And, you know, the action's fine in it, too. And Charlize Theron, of course, is is great. But there's a lot of issues I had with it. I figured, I, I thought it failed to think about other ideas, you know, that, that comes with being immortal. If you're somebody who can live through a gunshot wound or a grenade at your chest, if your body eventually, after a couple minutes, heals itself completely, then, well, why eat? Why sleep? Why drink? Because we do those things to sustain our bodies and to keep living. And without those things, our bodies would would die, right? Or wither. Well, if your body can heal from 
other things. Why can't it provide itself the nutrients it needs and why can't it keep um, sustaining itself uh, in the ways that it needs to keep healing itself? Well, I think you bring up a good point. I kind of fill in the gap in my own mind. Like I know for me right now, eating is quite a pleasure. Why would I get rid of that? And it makes me feel pretty human to be able to eat anything I want. Mm-hmm. So why would I get rid of that? I thought about that, but they, you know. It would have been nice if they threw something in there. Exactly, right? Yeah, so it would have been good if just acknowledging that in some way. That would have made some sense out of it. But well, it also would have separated it from vampire culture, too. In what way? With vampires, they don't eat or drink normal things. Traditionally, mm-hmm. it makes them sick. Right. They have to drink blood to sustain themselves. They're immortal, but yeah, they yeah. have to have blood. So maybe it's the same thing for the human, the immortals here. They're immortal, but they have to have some sort of food and rest. Yeah, I mean, none of that is explained, right? So it doesn't necessarily explain or go into other ideas, but it does create uh, other ideas that are interesting. My other issues with it are a it can be predictable at moments my biggest flaw with the movie is probably the villain he's so typical been there done that evil one one dimensional character there wasn't anything really interesting or cathartic about him in any way he was just a guy who wanted to make money and didn't care about any morals or hurting anybody in order to achieve that goal. So, yeah, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts about the villain or anything else about the film? Oh, I totally agree with you. The villain's boring. Okay. Yeah, predictable in a couple ways. It it could have done better. I also wondered why they didn't just turn this into an awesome TV show. But, you know, it's nice to have a movie every now and again, too. I guess, yeah. Did you have any thoughts? What did you think of the, the... Not to be specific or give it away, but... What, what did you think of the teaser after the credits? Oh, I liked it. It gave me hope. Oh, you did? I, yeah. I thought it was lame, uh, honestly. Well, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you score the, the old guard out of 10? Uh, maybe like a 6. 6 out of 10? Yeah. That's the same for me. But Yay. I thought it seemed like you liked it even more than me. It doesn't matter. I still know how to score. Okay. <laughs> All right. So not great, just fine. The old guard. Let us know what you think about that. Apologies for the dog barking in the background. We've tried several times to calm her down. All right, let's move on to the next movie in the weekend review that we are weekend review, which is Underwater, a movie that came out, I think, in January or February. Yeah, I think January. The- it was this year before pandemic. Yeah, I think it was one of the first movies that came out this year, if I'm not mistaken. So Underwater is kind of a sci-fi horror film that takes place underwater, as the title suggests. It is not tricking you there. There's no false advertising. It stars Kristen Stewart, Vincent Cassell, and T.J. Miller. Basically, it's about a 300-person crew being slowly, quite quickly, whittled down by something deep, deep, deep in the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Now, what did you think of Underwater? Did it exceed your expectations, or did you expect it to be a bad film going into it? I did expect it to be a bad film. I, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and 
you know, how many times do we have to see people being annihilated by things from the water, the mm-hmm. ocean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, good, another one, you mm-hmm. know. But I was pleasantly surprised by this film and I enjoyed watching Kristen Stewart, which I have a love-hate relationship with her. I'm either going to like her in that movie or I'm going to hate her in that movie. It just depends. Lately, you've been liking her more and more with each movie. Well, I'm not going to get too excited. (laughs) I'll just get excited. (laughs) You'll get excited for me. Yes. And I I enjoyed the characters. Things happen very freaking quickly in this film. They don't... Yeah, that's true. uh, You're going into an action film right away. You're not having a half an hour build-up or anything like that. If anything, you're having a three-minute build-up. So. Yeah, at the most, yes. You're right about that, absolutely. And and it's very scary. And how they show the concepts of pressure underwater is very interesting, things I didn't think about before. So it's it's kind of cool. It's like you could make this movie in space too, you know, with the and concepts they have. that they're using. Uh, one of my favorite actors was in it, the funny guy. What's his TJ name? TJ Miller. Yeah, I freaking love that guy. I've known that guy for a very long time. I've known him since Carpoolers, man. And that got like six or eight episodes and then it got canceled. Uh, I've known him since then. My goodness, I've never even heard of that. I used to like that show. I don't know what it's like now mm-hmm. for me, but when it came out at the time, I was amused, and my mom and I liked it. Our favorite part was that character. Right on. Yeah. Uh, wow, he's almost he's just a year younger than me, as a matter of fact. I'm looking back at his career, looking for this carpoolers thing. He's also in Gravity Falls, which you love. He's done so many things. How to Train Your Dragon... Oh, there it is. Yeah, 2007. Yeah, it is. To, it's it's right after it's right after Cloverfield or yeah. right before Cloverfield. I had to hunt for it a little bit, but he's Damn. a really funny character in that in that show, you know? Yeah, you go back all the way with him. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, so I think you're dead on with a couple of things. It is derivative. We've seen a, a lot of this before. It is predictable. It does fall uh, fall under some tropes we've seen before. I I hesitate to mention the tropes uh, to avoid spoilers, but, like, they are very basic horror tropes that we have seen regarding characters and who is expendable and who is not. Oh, I swear. And, you know, I can't... Oh, it irritates me so much. That pissed me off. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. But there's some really cool photography in it, and Kristen Stewart is great in it i think kristen stewart has been one of the best things in pretty much everything she has starred in in the past i don't know five to eight years i don't know it's been quite a while she's been on this journey and here she is doing something different doing a a, a straightforward action film I still liked the film, though. I don't think it's a terrible film, despite its flaws. It's quite enjoyable. If you're looking for some sort of a diversion or a fun time, so a fun watch, you know, get some popcorn kind of thing, it's not bad in that regard. Yeah, it's just for fun. Like, don't expect this to make the criterion well, or anything. I mean... It's just for fun. Not even the Abyss have made the criterion or anything. <gasps> what? But, no. You know, uh, okay. but... It's it's not going to be one of the best underwater action movies of all time or horror films, right? Not one of the best horror films either. Uh, so I give the film a 6 out of 10. How about you, Shanna? 
I think I'm there with you. Yeah. yeah. So last week, we caught up with Palm Springs, which was going to be released in theaters, apparently, but went to Hulu because of the pandemic, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti and J.K. Simmons. This is a movie that I'm reluctant to give away the concept because... No, actually, I will... I, I will say there is great reluctance out there to give away the concept, but our guideline is if it's in the trailer, if it's in the first 20 minutes of the movie, it's fair game. Yeah? Yeah. And that is definitely the case here, so I could give away some of it, which is Andy Samberg plays a guy who goes to his, not his girlfriend's wedding, but um, <laughs> goes with his girlfriend to a wedding that she is a part of, so he's kind of tangentially interested in the people at this uh, wedding, barely interested at all. And it turns out he's repeating that day over and over again. And it's about what happens, and it explores that idea of being stuck in Palm Springs during a, on a wedding day and stuff. What'd you think oh, of- Oh, shame. Stuck in Palm Springs. You say that, but I actually was listening to Jeff Kanata of the Slash Filmcast, who lives in the Southern California area, and he's saying like the idea of being of living every single day in Palm Springs is yeah. is actually hilarious and terrible. Like it's <laughs> it's like this kind of place that you go maybe for the weekend. Okay, and that's about as much as you can take. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah, so what did you think of the film? I, I would just very much like to have a vacation, so... Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, totally. I'm like, why are you bitching? So. <laughs> I really like this film. Hmm. I knew what was happening from the very beginning. You probably shouldn't have told me that it was time was involved, but that's how you got me interested, so it's fine. Right, because what is that? That's one of your favorite things. It's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. There you go. Other than Ghostbusters. Right. So... I, I really loved this film. I thought it was really fun. I love that J.K. Simmons is in it. Mm-hmm. He's a favorite. And I think that their evolution of, you know, their character evolution through the story is really fun. And what's cool is she really starts to kick ass later. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, do that with all the time you have, you amazing person, you. It makes me want to be in the same situation as her. So I I really loved the characters and who they were. All their flaws and all their cool things about them too. Yeah, the movie is a lot of fun. It it gets really creative with a very familiar territory and Adam Sandberg is fantastic in it. It's probably the best of all these movies that we've talked about that I've seen and that we've seen together. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, so I give the film, what, I don't know, maybe a 7 out of 10? How about you? Oh, I was going to give an 8, because probably because it's got time. Yeah, fantastic. Excellent. So that's Palm Springs. We recommend checking it out on Hulu. Now, that'll about do it for the week in review. Let's move on to the main event, which is our biggest blind spots. So... We're going to discuss our biggest blind spots. We have gone through this 30, 30 year. We haven't been doing this this long. This three year, maybe this session itself with all the interruptions we've had has lasted for 30 years. feels like it. But we have been going through this three year journey of going backwards through time ever since the first episode of the movie lovers. 
And we just completed that in the past episode. Now, through that journey, we've seen a lot of movies that we hadn't seen before, especially that's the case for you too, too, Shanna, right? Oh, yeah. There's a ton that I still need to see. Yes. And that's, you know, I've seen almost 3,500 movies, and I still came up with the list of 100 major blind spots that I have not seen. So what we decided to do is we're going to go through and uh, kind of format this by genre, our biggest blind spot genre by genre, going through 10 core genres, major genres, and uh, discuss which ones are our biggest blind spots based on looking at flick chart, what's most recommended to us. And then what I did was I also looked at Rotten Tomatoes to see which ones also had the highest Rotten Tomatoes rating. So let's get into it with, I think we're going to start with action films. What is, Shanna, the biggest blind spot for you in the action genre? It's taking off Pelham one two three. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Pelham. Yeah, I guess so. Because yeah. that's how you spell it. I, yes. And I like words that are pronounced with how you spell it. <laughs> okay, like herb. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So okay, are you just point Not of clarity? Herb. Are you talking about the original seventies movie or the two thousand nine remake? The nineteen seventy four film. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know much about it i think you explained to me that it's about taking over a train like a subway yeah yeah and i th- thought that would be pretty cool because there's probably a lot of stuff that stems from that you know how sometimes you can look back and be like hey because of that film we have film abc so that's why i'm curious about it and i always hear about it do you and yeah if it has a remake it was probably good to begin with I mean, 50 50, you know? Yeah, it depends. I'm going to take a step back here. I almost forgot. Were there certain decades that had more blind spots than others that you noticed? I'm glad you're stepping back because I was actually going to talk about my list making. Oh, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I apologize. I completely forgot to do that. So I, I'm not as extreme as you. I just have, I just went lightly through things and thought to myself hey it would have been good if i saw that it would have been good if i saw that for not really for myself because it's really blind spots are really about what other people love and can't stop talking about but there was one in the musical category that i was like why didn't i take advantage of the 60s and watch that i've always wanted to watch that Mm. uh so that's kind of how my my list making went i mean you only have a hundred blind spots i probably have a thousand so okay (laughs) yeah my i I probably have a blind spot for every decade represented here i i do believe in terms of the major ones i will touch on there wasn't a particular decade thanks to our little journey that really like stood out as having the most um, unless I went through I didn't go through and mine all hundred movies to really data mine that but in terms of the ones we'll be speaking to it's it's kind of all throughout history I'm looking at my list and I see there's nothing from the 50s oh really so oh, I feel like maybe I did fairly well in the 50s and I'm kind of a big fan of the 50s and mm. I don't see anything from the 40s either, but that oh. could just be, co- be because nothing stood out to me. Gotcha. So uh, moving on, 
action blind spot for me. The biggest one is Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. This was one of John Carpenter's first films. It's not his first film. I think that might be the sci-fi movie Dark Star, which I did see. But Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976 is actually my blind spot and according to imdb that movie is a a action crime thriller about an unlikely partnership between a highway patrol officer two criminals and a station security formed to defend a defunct la precinct office against a siege by a street gang and that does not necessarily have any notable cast members that i can see here but anyway that's my my major blind spot from the action. Uh, I will mention really quickly, give a shout out to other ones underneath the genre that are among the hundred. Bullet is my other action uh, blind spot. When is that from? I don't recall the exact year. Let me. Well, tell me the decade. It's either the sixties or the seventies. It stars Steve McQueen. Oh, okay. It's notable for having one of the greatest car chase scenes of all time. I might be 67, but I could be wrong. What is, Shanna, your biggest animated blind spot? My blind spot animation is Nasaka of the Valley of the Wind. Am I saying that right? I'm yeah, yeah, not. yeah. Of the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I misspelled something. So, you know, this is one of Hayao Miyazaki's films, and I really would have liked to have seen this. It's from... 1984 so from the 80s mm-hmm. and i guess i just didn't get around to it uh you know having this list actually makes me want to go watch this stuff right now so it's apparently happening in the future there's an apocalyptic thing happening and it's devastated the world's ecosystem honestly i don't care what this film is about i want to see it because it's Hayao miyazaki mm-hmm. yeah i don't blame you my number one animation blind spot or animated blind spot, my biggest one, is 2008's Waltz with Bashir, which is an animated documentary from what I understand. It's an Israeli film director interviews fellow veterans of the 1982 invasion of Lebanon to reconstruct his own memories of his term of service in that conflict. I heard about Waltz with Bashir around 2008-2009. I heard great things about it. I just never got around to seeing it. And even when we did 2008 in in our Film Faith segment, I just never got to squeeze it in. My other animated blind spot is, and there's really not many animated movie blind spots for me, Watership Down is the other one that's from the 70s you've never watched that never seen it never read the book i've even seen that like when i was too young probably because (laughs) a shit ton of shit goes down yeah no i've never seen i'm i'm aware of it i almost read the book once uh had it in my hands uh but never got to at all never experienced that story oh my gosh the song bright eyes is from there like that totally makes me cry every time i hear it yeah i don't know that song would you say watership down is a bigger blind spot than waltz with that is a massive blind spot for you how have you not seen that i just just haven't it's so weird all right what what is your comedy your major comedy blind spot 
So it's not so much major as it is. This is one of those categories where I'm like, well, everybody else knows what this is about. Everybody else quotes this or cosplays as this. And I have no idea mm-hmm. what this is. And that's the Big Lebowski from uh. 98. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, it doesn't really matter what this film is about. Again, because that's not why I want to watch it. I want to watch it because everybody else seems to know what's what it's about. It's by the Coen brothers. It's got, you know, favorite people like Jeff Bridges and John Goodman and Steve Buscemi and Julianne Moore. And I'm like, oh, my God, why have I not seen this as I keep going through the cast list? So, you know, something it says something about a wife is dead and. No, kidnapped. I'm sorry. That's not a spoiler because how would I know? Honey, you've seen this film. What, I have. what is this film about? It's essentially, the the dude is a case of mistaken identity. Uh, the dude wants his uh, rug replaced. It got damaged or is missing. I can't remember which one. I think it got damaged. He wants it replaced. It really pulls the room together. And one thing kind of leads to another. And he does go bowling with his pal, John Goodman. And I think Steve Buscemi, too, if I remember correctly. And uh, there's actually John Turturro, another favorite of yours, is actually in the film, too, Mm. as a guy who also goes bowling. It's not a movie that I get. I just do not get the wide appeal of this film. Uh, Everybody loves it, but you should see it. Well, and that's why I think I've been hesitant in the past is, well, if Jeff doesn't like it, Chances are I won't like it. I am in the vast minority when it comes to that movie, for sure, though. Uh, for me, my major comedy blind spot is a Buster Keaton film from 1923 called Our Hospitality. Whenever I research comedies, inevitably this movie pops up. So this is a 65-minute silent film about a man who returns to his Appalachian homestead. On the trip, he falls for a young woman. The only problem is her family has vowed to kill every member of his family. <laughs> so, yeah, that could be that could put a wrench. This is like a bad version of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it, it could put a wrench into things. And I'm sure there's a lot of extraordinary physical comedy, being that it is a Buster Keaton film. I've seen a handful of Buster Keaton films. Uh, this is pretty much the one major one. It also has an appearance from his son, Buster Keaton Jr., too, as a, as a one-year-old. Uh, him, his, the char- his character as a one-year-old. Cute. Other comedic blind spots, Harold Lloyd's The Freshman, uh, also a silent comedic classic. Hedwig and the Angry Inch, I guess, is a comedy. I don't know a whole lot about that, but that was one I tried to catch up with when we did our LGBTQ list. And uh, since I missed it when we did its year, Walk Hard from 2007 is a comedy I hear a lot about. I haven't seen Murder by Death is a mystery comedy. And even actually, speaking of Walk Hard, Step Brothers is a movie I avoided, but I keep hearing people recommending Step Brothers. Oh, it's not the worst movie it's kind of funny it's got a great cast well there you go and so but our hospitality is uh it seems to be my major comedic blind spot shanna what is your major documentary blind spot it's supersize me from 2004 and if anyone else wants to check it out with me it's on prime 
Most of the stuff that I looked up isn't available anyway. We should all so, watch that movie. I'd be totally down to watch that. Well, That's I'm fun. also a little worried about watching it because here's what it's about. It's about a guy that decides he's going to go on a month journey just eating McDonald's. Nothing yep. else. No fruits, no vegetables. Well, I guess if McDonald's at that time had a salad, you could probably order a salad. But who's going to order a salad from McDonald's? It's not <laughs> going to be me. So... I'm interested in it, but I'm also worried because I haven't had McDonald's for a few weeks now and I don't want to have McDonald's, <laughs> you know, yeah. but if I see a good picture of McDonald's, I don't know what I'm going to do. This so. will definitely not make you crave McDonald's. I found a McDonald's fry in our garage yesterday what? and nothing had happened to it. And I'm like, oh shit. So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about this film, but I'm also yeah. worried about this film. <laughs> So that's my biggest blind spot that, I, you know, of my time. There's probably other stuff that needs attention, but that's one that I really think I should see. That is a major blind spot. I will say that movie sparked a huge rash of food industry documentaries. And it also incited changes in McDonald's. Mm. So... You know, the McDonald's that existed prior to the release of that documentary is different from the McDonald's of today, believe uh, it or not. Because I have seen a couple of food documentaries and I can't remember which I can't remember which documentary features. Oh, what is his name? It's Jamie someone. Uh, he's a, a BBC cook. Don't know. Uh, and um He's showing you how much sugar is in chocolate milk. And I, he also showed something else, like how much salt is in a McDonald's meal. Mm. And it was super interesting because he just gets one cup, then another cup, then another cup of, you know, whichever meal it was. So I love food documentaries, actually. Apparently, yeah. My documentary, my major blo- documentary blind spot is from 1994. Did not get a chance to finally catch up with it when we did that year. It is Steve James' Hoop Dreams. Now, this film was championed by Roger Ebert. It it basically, like, because Roger Ebert uh, talked about Hoop Dreams, I think in his show, Cisco and Ebert at the time, brought attention to Hoop Dreams, we're still talking about Hoop Dreams today. You know, like, he made Steve James' career. Now... Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it is a film that follows the lives of two inner city Chicago boys who struggle to become college basketball players on the road to going professional. It's supposed to be extraordinary, supposed to be exceptional, uh, well worth the three hours that it almost runs. I just have never seen it. So that's probably my biggest documentary blind spot. Along with that, also from the 90s, I've never seen the Muhammad Ali documentary, I don't think. When We Were Kings, if I did see that, I do not remember it very well. And then also there's the documentary Grey Gardens, too, which is a very well-known, famous, and important documentary, too. Okay, so the next category is drama. Shanna, what is your biggest blind spot in drama? My biggest blind spot in drama is Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. British Beatlemania, all this <laughs> chocolate. 
<laughs> you got that Pavlovian response in my head now too because you do that every single <laughs> every time. Every time. With uh, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Anyway, back to Lawrence of Arabia. It's 1962. Mm-hmm. And I, it's one of those epics like uh, Ben-Hur, right? Mm. And yes. I just, I've never seen it. And I, I just... This time around, I didn't have the energy or strength to do another three and a half, four hour right. thing. Yeah. You know, after Ben-Hur, I'm like, no, I'm done, hey? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not adding another one. So that would be good to see one day. I think you would really appreciate Lawrence of Arabia. I actually, I think I was surprised to learn that you hadn't seen it because I thought you had. But the way that Athena shot, I think you would really appreciate the photography in it. Mm. I think my parents have a copy, you know, growing up. Mm. Or what What was it on VHS, like six or seven tapes or I something? Would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they had some sort of access to it, but I may have started it and then walked away. My biggest dr- blind spot in drama was one that I really was hoping to get to when we did our 40s films, but just did not. We ran out of time, our our opportunity. It's 1945's The Lost Weekend by Billy Wilder. It's about the desperate life of a chronic alcoholic followed through a four-day drinking bout. It stars a bunch of people I'm not very familiar with from that time. Ray Milland and Jane Wyman are apparently the primary. I've heard of Jane Wyman, but I just don't. I've heard them both, but I just don't know them that well. Of course, Billy Wilder is the big draw here. You know, he's one of the greatest directors of all time. And this is one of his more dramatic stories. And it just, you know, I wanted to, and I just did not get to. Other blind spots in the drama field, there are a lot. Actually, they probably make up a third of my hundred movies that are blind spots of mine. The Miracle Worker, also from 62. Wait, you haven't seen that? that's one of those where if I've seen it, it's been so long I don't remember it. Oh, okay. Young Mr. Lincoln from the 30s, didn't get to see that. Zulu was really hoping we'd finally watch Zulu in the 60s, did not get to see it. Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, All the King's Men. If Beale Street Could Talk from a couple years ago. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Mrs. Miniver by William Wyler. I really was hoping I'd finally knock that one out. Lenny. When we did biopics, even didn't even get to cut, knock that out. My Own Private Idaho I had a second chance with LGBTQ. Didn't get to knock that out, um, as well as when we did the 90s. And Spike Lee's The 25th Hour. All these dramas never got to see. Uh, and still blind spots of mine. So quite a few, but The Lost Weekend is the big one from 1945 by Billy Wilder. Shanna, fantasy. Did you have a lot of fantasy blind spots? I, I think so, but I kind of went with this one that you explained to me. It, it's from 1985. It's The Purple Rose of Cairo. Now, this is by Woody Allen, and I'm not a big fan of Woody Allen, but the way you explained it, I was like, hey, I'd like to give that a try. Uh, this woman is unhappily married during the Depression era. She's a waitress, and she goes to the movies to kind of escape that, and uh really likes the actor that's on screen and all of a sudden he comes out of the screen. Mm-hmm. So I'd be very interested in checking that out. Who's it star? Mia Farrow, Danny Aiello, and Jeff Daniels. Yep, and Jeff Daniels plays the guy who comes out of the screen. 
That is one. Oh, I do like Jeff Daniels. Oh yeah, I, I think he's fantastic, and that is a one of his best performances. B oh. one of the Woody Allen movies that's actually truly uh, enjoyable that doesn't get enough talk. And then Diane Weist is in it, and I'm a big fan of hers. So. Yes, that's true. Um, for me, I really only had one. I think Fantasy Blind Spot, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's true. Yeah. And that is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. A, oh, what? Yeah, a David Fincher film that I always was kind of meh about. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it's not one of his best. There are ardent Benjamin Button fans out there. But I just, you know, never devoted the two hours, 45 minutes to this Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett film that tells the story of a guy who ages backwards. So, But you've seen this. Yeah, I I rem- I've only seen it once and that was when it came out on DVD, so it's been a long time and I remember liking it. It was weird, but mm-hmm. I liked it. Well, there you go. So that's my that's my major fantasy blind spot. Shannon, let's go on to the next genre. That is foreign film. I imagine there is a lot of foreign film blind spots for you you would hope there wouldn't be (laughs) given how hard we worked on our last foreign list anyway so i would love to check out all of ingmar bergman's films Mm -hmm. and such as uh well you know what i'm just going to name one today (laughs) (laughs) i would like to check out persona from 1966 it's a drama mystery it's only an hour and a half that's a selling point. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. it's in black and white, so it looks divine. It's about an actress who, you know, has an issue during a performance and the doctor thinks that she is having a mental breakdown, so she goes to a beach house on the Baltic Sea to take a break. And she has a nurse with her to keep her company and uh, you know, she's mute at this point. That's how how much she's shut down. Hmm. So I'm interested in that. It looked beautiful, the way it was shot, the lighting, because, you know, Bergman. Yeah. Yes, uh, Bergman's films, Seven Seal, Wild Strawberries, whatever, uh, are all definitely worth checking out. You also have Blind Spots by Kira Kurosawa, too, and we were looking through all your foreign films, Jean Renoir, uh, lots of lots of blind spots there. For me, my major foreign film blind spot from India, it is Sajit Ray's Pather Panchali from 1955. Apparently, it's part of a trilogy. I can't remember the name of the trilogy right now. I haven't seen any of it. But this story is called or is about an impoverished priest dreaming of a better life for himself and his family. He leaves his rural bengal village in search of work it's just a two-hour film i just never have gotten around to seeing it or opportunity to see it other foreign films that are major blind spots for me babette's feast really wanted to see it that's from the 80s i've heard that's major food porn i I love a good food porn don't blame you. Just n- did not have the time when we reached that year. And uh, another Federico Fellini film, Knights of Cabiria. I've seen a couple of his films. We watched Eight and a Half when we were doing that decade, uh, but did not get to do Knights of Cabiria. 
So, but Father Pancelli is the most recommended foreign film that I haven't seen. Shanna, let's move on to horror. I know it's one of your favorite genres. Oh, you're so funny. What a what a comedian. What anyway, uh, what is there's not a lot of horror that you're willing to invest in. But what is the one major horror blind spot for you that you are? So here's the thing with horror for me. There's a wonderful museum, the Mopop in Seattle, and they have a great exhibit on horror. And something that really stood out to me with the colors and the framing and the lighting, because that can help you tell horror, is Suspiria from 1977. Mm. I wanted to watch it, but, you know, it's the kind of thing I want to watch on mute. So it requires no multitasking, so it just didn't happen this time. I'd like to watch the 77, but I'd also like to watch the more recent one, which I think was... Is it 2017, 2018, somewhere around there? You know, so, okay, what is this? There's a woman who's traveling to attend ballet school and she arrives and strange things start happening. (laughs) So I don't know what's going to happen. I've seen a couple scenes because the exhibit analyzes the film for why it's so effective. Ah. So it's a little less scary to me, but all the same, I'm still scared. (laughs) But I want to check that out. You know, that's a blind spot for me, but mostly by choice because I've seen You've the seen trailer the same and clips stuff, as me. and I'm like, you know, I I'm out. I'm okay. <laughs> I and I've never really seen a Dario Argento film, and I know that's a major director in horror, and I know that's a major blind spot. But oh, maybe that one's not for me. I will say that the major horror film for me. That is recommended most. I almost caught up with when we were doing our 60s movies. Almost caught it up with you, but you were like, nah, that's not for me. Is Repulsion from 1965 by Roman Polanski. It stars Catherine Deneuve. It is about a sex-repulsed woman who disapproves of her sister's boyfriend and sinks into depression and has horrific visions of rape and violence. Yeah, I mean... I definitely understand why this does not appeal to some people, but apparently it has its significance uh, in what it's exploring. I've just never gotten around to seeing it. Other horror uh, blind spots for me, uh, Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone, uh, the original Omen film, and the one that I'm actually most excited and have been chomping at the bit to finally check out and just haven't, largely due to lack of opportunity, is A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, from the early 80s. I wanted to see that at the time that we did, the year that it came out, I can't remember, I think 86 or 87, uh, it just absolutely was not available anywhere, and then, you know, we just didn't have opportunity to get it, so, and you don't, you have zero interest in seeing it, so... Uh, but that's the one I'm most interested in seeing. But the the biggest blind spot apparently for me for horror is Roman Polanski's Repulsion mm. from the 60s. So, Shanna, let's move on to happier, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Musical. That's right. Yeah. What is your biggest blind spot from the musical genre? Look, there's a lot of musicals out there, and I wouldn't mind going to them. But the one that I totally realized that I missed an opportunity to watch that I was so mad about 
is Sweet Charity. It's not very well known. It, it released on Valentine's Day in 69. And the reason I wanted to watch it is because I have a personal connection to it. During my dance days, we did a, a number based on this one. Uh, it's called The Rhythm of Life. And if you've seen, I think it's a Budweiser trailer. It's one of the alcohols. They take that song and they have a tadpole. No, they take they take the idea of rev- evolution mm-hmm. and they reverse it. Hmm. And it's very interesting. So the song has been used in a lot of different ways. So if you heard it, you'd be like, hey, I know that song. Hmm. What is this movie about? It's got Shirley MacLaine and she's on the mission to find the love of her life, you know, and she goes through a few mishaps and eventually finds the one, you know, because that's how movies that release on Valentine's Day have to end. Right, right. So I'm not spoiling anything for anyone. Anyway, so Shirley MacLaine, Neil Simon, and I don't know anyone Mm. else. Hmm. I have never heard of that, so that is a blind spot for me as well. Mm-hmm. But the biggest musical blind spot, there's actually three that are probably equitable here, but my biggest and the one I really, really am kicking myself for not having caught up with is 1936's Showboat by James Whale starring Paul Robeson. I really was hoping in uh, preparation for our last episode to be able to finally catch up with that uh, it's actually kind of hard to find too that's one the major reason why i've never caught up with it it's not something you'll find on netflix uh, very often Uh, in case you're not familiar with it by the way is about according to imdb despite her mother's objections the naive young daughter of a showboat captain is thrust into the limelight as the company's new leading lady it stars Irene Dunn and Paul Robeson, as I mentioned before, and Hattie McDaniel and a few other familiar faces from that era. I really want to see that one. Never have. But also, uh, not only did I learn I haven't seen many Vincent Minnelli films, uh, including Cabaret, but also All That Jazz. I don't know if that's a Vincent Minnelli oh, yeah. film, but that's a major one that I haven't seen, both from the 70s, I believe, Wish I caught up with them. Hope to someday. Is all that jazz the one that ends with the New York, New York song? You think, I, are you thinking of Forty Second Street? Da, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I couldn't honestly tell you because oh, I've never okay. seen all that jazz. But huh. um, so that's my musical blind spot. Showboat being the biggest one by James Whale, the director of, of course, Invisible Man, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Shanna. Our last category here is sci-fi. What is, we're big sci-fi fans. So what could possibly be (laughs) your biggest sci-fi blind spot? There's a lot, but I was really sad that I missed out on Westworld from 1973. Here I am three seasons into the Westworld TV show and I haven't watched the actual movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a futuristic theme park where guests are pretending to be gunslingers, uh, onto artificial intelligence so uh androids i would have liked to have seen this uh but i haven't so the director is michael crichton yeah the author michael crichton and the screenplay you know obviously so it's like that's got to be good right if he's got control of it it is not bad it is fairly effective and a great precursor to movies like terminator 
and of course Yul Brenner is in it, so that's always great. So, and since you're a fan of the show, it makes sense for you to want to check out that film. For me, there is one sci-fi film I have been meaning to watch for years. Still, when we did the '70s, did not have time to finally knock it out. It is, I believe, George Lucas's first film from 1971, THX 1138. I believe this stars... That doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? No, THX 1138? Not really. I believe, though, that this stars Robert Duvall and Donald Pleasance. Uh, uh, It takes place in the 25th century, a time when people have designations instead of names. A man, THX 1138, and a woman, LUH 3417, rebel against their rigidly controlled society. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that has a lot of promise that that might resonate uh, off and on throughout time. Never gotten a chance to see it, and so... Uh, that is that. And in terms of other sci-fi blind spots, also I think from the 70s, really. Soylent Green, very famous for what is Soylent Green, Charlton Heston movie, and Silent Running, which stars Shannon, one of your favorite actresses, Laura Dern's father, Bruce Dern, I believe, is the star of that sci-fi So not film. Laura Dern? No. She no, was... but that's my favorite. Yeah, I know. Her <laughs> father, Bruce Dern. Stars in Silent Running. But THX 1138 is the sci-fi film I've always wanted to catch up with, still haven't seen. That's my biggest blind spot spot in sci-fi. So, Shanna, if I understand correctly, you didn't note any other blind spots, right? Uh, no, I didn't because there were just too many. One could make that argue for myself, argument for myself. Just going to quickly run through a, 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 just a couple major points here. I know the crime genre, Angels with Dirty Faces, White Heat, both James Cagney movies, was hoping to knock them out, did not have the time. Uh, Also, Boys in the Hood, a major blind spot from the 90s, did not get to see that. Uh, In the family category, Old Yeller, yes, believe it or not, I've never seen Old Yeller. And The Secret Garden from the 90s, one of your favorites, Shanna. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mysteries, Anatomy of a Murder, never seen that film with uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, never seen the Three Colors trilogy by who was that? Is it Kislovsky who did the Three Colors trilogy? Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but I think I've seen the blue one. Yeah, you've at least seen one of the three. I mm-hmm. have not seen any of them. For the genres war, which is not one of your kind of genres, so we didn't explore it. I've never seen Hamburger Hill, The Great Escape, A Dirty Dozen. Major, major blind spots, I know. Westerns, never seen once. If I've seen Once Upon a Time in the West, I don't remember it very well. That is a three-hour Western by Sergio Leone. Uh, I know that's a major blind spot. Pale Rider is also a blind spot in the Western category. And then there's one other one I was going to mention. Oh, it was actually for the war category, Casualties of War is also a war film I've never seen. There are at least two, three dozen other blind spots I'm not even touching. Some of them are Chinese films that we are actually taking care of right now. Uh, But anyway, those are our major blind spots. Which ones do you think are the most egregious blind spots? What are your blind spots? Feel free free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. 
Now, Shanna, it's time to explore the yang to blind spots yin with our film faves category, film faves discoveries. Film faves, for those who are not familiar, is a uh, feature that is derived from a feature that used to be on the blog, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. We recently just finished going backwards through time, as I mentioned before. So now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite discoveries from going backwards through time. The idea behind this is not only to give you a sense of our taste in film, but also hopefully open you up to some movies that you've never heard of before. To that end, we try to point you in the direction of where you can find these on certain subscription channels. More often than not, or very often, these things are all available to rent on Amazon. But we do focus on Netflix, HBO Now, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and Disney+. Plus. If a movie is available on those channels, we will let you know. Speaking of that, Shanna, I noticed in my case for my list this time, many of the movies are not available on those channels, but they are available to either rent on Amazon or they're available on HBO Max or the Criterion channel. Or something called Fubo. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... And then Peacock for me. Oh, really? Peacock. That's fascinating. But I didn't make note of that. I'm just saying in general. Yeah, yeah. So if they're not on of note on any of our subscription channels that we will point out, maybe explore those as well. Shanna, your discoveries. How you you have had probably way more discoveries than me mm. through this whole journey. Was it difficult for you to boil this down to twelve favorite movies? No, I I pretty much knew what I wanted on this list, and it looks like mostly there's something from every decade, except the seventies. I think we both remember seventies was not my favorite decade at all i thought it was the 60s i mean i think 60s was hard for me is that where easy rider is yeah yeah that was a hard one for me but i think i think i didn't have anything from the 70s that's surprising that's very. i mean they might be existing favorites but new stuff yeah definitely not that's very interesting you know i only had a total of 25 new discoveries during our journey so I didn't have a hard time making that list, but what what I did have a hard time with, if anything, was saying, yes, absolutely loved so-and-so movies. So my list kind of serves as a crescendo, if you will, in terms of my feelings about <laughs> these movies, where it starts out with, yeah, I probably like that one the most, more than these other 12 or 13 movies. But it gets even further into, yeah, I really like that one's awesome kind of territory yeah i definitely knew what my my top six were and then had to maneuver for the others in terms of uh you you answered my next question which was was there a decade in particular that had the most discoveries and for me it was really like the 70s and the 80s that had the most discoveries and that are represented on this list looks like i have two each for the 80s and 90s Oh, interesting. But otherwise, it's spread out. No kidding. That's fascinating. Well, why don't you get us started 
with your 12th favorite discovery. My number 12 is The World According to Garp from 1982. This isn't available to stream anywhere, but I swear to God it was available on Netflix a little while ago. So this has got Robin Williams, and we see his life from baby to, like, old age. We don't actually see him die. Do we see him in old age? I remember we definitely see him grow up into adulthood. I just don't remember the ending of the oh, movie. Well, very maybe well. we don't go all that way. Anyway, it's also got John Lithgow in his early days, and I just love it. It's about Garp going through life and having different fears and loves and interactions and relationships and, you know, becoming a person. So it's a really fun story. And it's, I think, is it, who is it? Glenn Close is the mother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so Glenn Close is the mother. And I like, I watch that mother and I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if we were all like that? Easygoing, calm, supportive of independence. What is that? So, uh, yeah, uh, that's a really fun one. For me, my 12th favorite discovery is from 1987. It is Cry Freedom. By oh, great. Richard Attenborough, starring Denzel Washington and Kevin Klein. It is a movie that you may recall is set in South Africa. Uh, I know you recall it, Shanna. <laughs> it's about a journalist, you Donald Woods. You have to Woods. say it like an American, South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a journalist, Donald Woods, forced to flee the country after attempting to investigate the death of his friend, activist Steve Biko. Now... I did have issues with this movie, right? Like, it seems like it's about Steve Biko, and then all of a sudden it's about the white guy, <laughs> Kevin Klein. Yeah. But I did, I did appreciate and like uh, this film for what it does accomplish well. Even though it's two hours, 37 minutes, which is really long, the performances really help carry you through it. This is probably one of Kevin Klein's best performances in his career and it's also very helpful and insightful for this white pacific northwest american to to learn about this chapter in 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 the middle of well you know toward the the last third of apartheid you know this piece of history and what was happening over in south africa so cry freedom from 1987 is my 12th favorite discovery for its performances and opening my eyes a little more. My number 11 is Adam's Rib from 1949. This stars my favorite couple, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Both of them are lawyers and they decide to take, well, Spencer Tracy is given the case and Catherine Hepburn decides to represent the female side of this case. The case involves a woman sick and tired of her husband cheating on her while she looks after children and gives up her entire life and he just goes and fucks around and she brings a gun and tries to shoot him and injures him but doesn't kill him so now they're in court and so Catherine Hepburn is supporting the female side of this and Spencer Tracy is is supporting the male side of this for lack of a better term it's like a battle of the sexes in court it's really fun too yeah yeah. I'm actually surprised that that's so low on your list. I expected it to be much well, closer just you wait. to number one. So that's <laughs> interesting. One of my favorite Hepburn and Tracy uh, films. 
My number 11, though, is another Hepburn and Tracy film that was somewhat of a discovery for me. This kind of fell under the I think I've seen it before I didn't remember it very well kind of category. So in itself, in a way, it was a discovery. It's Desk Set from 1957. I love that movie. It's not on my list, but I'm glad you have it. <laughs> very good. And it's in the same place as my Spencer and yeah, yeah. Uh, Catherine. Exactly. Scott. Yeah. So, you know, this is, as I recall, Spencer Tracy plays a guy who comes in to um, see how things are running in Catherine Hepburn's office. It looks like they're going to switch everything over to having a computer automate things. And, you know, there's some comedy that's involved. Uh, And it's just really charming between Spencer and, and Hepburn. They are one of cinema's greatest comedic duos, one of cinema's greatest um, duos, period. And it's uh, one of the last movies they did. I think it might be the second to last movie they did together, if I remember correctly. Because I think they didn't do a movie until 10 years later after that with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Which was not a a discovery of mine. I'd seen that years, years before. But Desk Set is worth checking out, too, as well as Adam's Rib. Jenna, what is your 10th favorite discovery? Actually, maybe it's disc set. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My number 10, though, is from 1946. It's Best Years of Our Lives, and it features three different men who have come back from war with varying degrees of PTSD and injuries, physical and mental. And... it strongly features the women and the families who are trying to support them coming back into society too. And this film is really dense. It looks at everything that a veteran, a war veteran would be needing to face coming back from a war, which is something I, I honestly, I don't think about it. I think that they go and then I'm like, okay, that's, they're probably not going to be okay when they come back, but I don't think about all the elements like, okay, now I have to go get another job, even though I, ranked really high in the military and now I have to you know be with my family again and be okay with a child screaming in the neighborhood and not not having a a panic attack so I really like the sensitivity and the eye-openingness of this film and what's the name of that one again best years of our lives from 46 excellent my 10th favorite discovery is Harlan County USA from 1976, a documentary that we watched about uh, basically coal miners on the east side of the country and the struggle with whether or not to unionize and be paid well and you know the sacrifices that coal miners uh, make physically and, and the families make. And you know, it's really interesting when the wives of the coal miners get involved too. And there's some really shocking and surprising things that develop uh, in terms of how those in charge respond to the, the workers and the families who strike or try to fight back. So Harlan County, USA... Is one of my favorites and most interesting uh, discoveries of this whole process. It's my 10th favorite discovery. My number nine is from 62 and 
features one of my favorite actresses, Angela Lansbury, as a devious bitch. The Manchurian Candidate from 62, it is available on HBO now if you can get access to that. Uh, we can't, uh, unless we manually search HBO in our uh, to find Echo a, a workaround device. It. Yeah. So I love this film. It's basically about brainwashing and turning, like con- mind controlling people for your own purposes, uh, specifically as a military tool is the best way I can describe it. There's deviousness. It's disgusting. It's There's a really famous scene in a tea garden. It looks like a tea garden. I think that's what it's called. Okay. And I just, I freaking love it. Yeah, a great political thriller. Yeah, that's a great way to... I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, uh, takes place during the Korean War, shortly before, I think, the Vietnam War. It gets uh, off and running, too. So, uh, very, very cool film. Uh, it was remade into a very generic thriller, too. So, I don't recommend checking that film out. But do check out the the original. I'm glad you... You loved it. From 1962. My ninth favorite discovery is 1939's The Women by George Cukor. I love that movie. Norma Shearer, Paulette Goddard. Who else is in it, Shanna? Help me out here. Joan Fontaine. Everybody. All the women. No men whatsoever. Just women. That's right. Okay, that's right. And who's the woman from um, His Girl Friday that's in it? Uh, Rosalind Russell. There you go. Yeah, great cast. Very enjoyable. It's a little long, but it does a lot of things for its time. That's really cool. Written by women, based on a play by a woman. Very entertaining film. Loved it a lot. That's The Women. From 1939 is my ninth favorite discovery. My number eight is on Netflix. Woohoo! It's been on there for years, guys. So go check it out because maybe it's going away next month. I don't know. Zodiac from 2007. Oh. Yeah. So the true crime movie. It's a thriller. It's during the late 60s and 70s, uh, happening in San Francisco. The serial killer called Zodiac is stalking residents, and Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards are investigators, and the reporters are Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. So it's kind of this nice quattro thing happening, you know, where they're all kind of working together or kind of rubbing up against each other the wrong way, depending. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this film crime is kind of one of my favorites and mm-hmm. this is definitely up there hey, yeah. have we made a crime list we did Cause... mysteries but i don't think we've done crime oh. that was one of my most recommended movies to you and i'm glad you caught up to it when we did 2007 very difficult movie for me to watch but very very good film my eighth favorite discovery, though, was going back to the 70s, 1978. There's a documentary by Martin Scorsese about the band called The Last Waltz, about their final concert. I guess they had been around at this point uh, about 16 years. And this is actually, I don't know if it's Scorsese's first documentary, but... 
it certainly would foretell a series of documentaries he would make and how great he was at making rock docs because he would do documentaries for Bob Dylan and, and a handful of others. But this one is really good. I was very surprised. It's a bit of a, a concert documentary as it does show footage from this final concert uh, with special appearances by Joni Mitchell, Muddy Waters, Dr. John, um, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan, and a handful of others. I think Neil Diamond is another one that makes an appearance. It's very entertaining, but what's really cool about it is, is the backstage interviews with the likes of Robbie Robertson get some insight where their headspace was and, and how they got their beginnings and everything. And I'm not a huge fan of the band myself, but I still was quite engrossed by this film. And it was one of the best rock docs I've ever seen. That's The Last Waltz from 1978. My number seven is Baji on the Beach by Garinda Chada from 1993. And this is available on Prime, which is pretty exciting. Nice. It's featuring a whole lot of women, Indian women in this family. I think there's like two grandmothers, six aunts, and like all the cousins. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of cool. I don't remember why they're going to the beach, uh, like if there's a special occasion, but they're all going together on a bus. And... Uh, to spend the day there, to have time to themselves or, or together, really. And all of them are very different women dealing with very different things and insecurities and issues that they're facing. And it's a really good representation of womanhood. And I, I just love it. Gorinda Chada does amazing work and all the performances are, are great in this film. And I love how the story unfolds. My seventh favorite discovery is Moscow on the Hudson, starring Robin Williams from 1984. Uh, basically, this is about a group of Russians who make a trip to the United States. One of them has a plan of defecting during the visit, and they're very strictly monitored, by the way, just to make sure there's no funny business going on. This is definitely a Cold War film, and it is kind of has some surprises of what happens along the way. Of course, this isn't Robin Williams being Robin Williams in a directly comedic way that we know him to be, but, you know, it's kind of a mix of comedy and drama. He's great in it. I'm trying to remember some of our thoughts when we talked about this film from when we watched it last year. I remember several strengths. Were there any weaknesses or issues that we had with the movie? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I just remember it really beautifully illustrating what it's like to be away from family. That's right. Mm -hmm. To the point that it makes me cry every time I think about it. That's right. Well, I don't mean to bring you down, love. <laughs> By mentioning this, but Moscow on the Hudson was a nice, a delightful discovery of mine. And so it's my seventh favorite of my discoveries. My number six is Time Crimes from 2008. So this is a time traveler thriller that opens with the character Hector spying on a beautiful woman undressing in the woods near his property. Later, he finds her assaulted and then he is being chased by someone, a man who is covered in bandages. Hmm. 
And as he's trying to flee away, he comes across a scientific facility. What shall happen? Who knows? Very cool. My next favorite discovery is one that Shanna, you showed me. Paris, Texas from 1986. Oh, hey, something I showed you made the list. That's right. That's great. Starring Harry Dean Stanton and Dean Stockwell. It's kind of a slow-paced film, so it took some patience to get through it, but it ended up being one of the most rewarding discoveries that I had, uh, primarily because of the last third of the film. It's absolutely beautiful. I believe it's beautiful both in terms of cinematography, but also emotionally beautiful, very tender film. And one of the most tender performances you'll ever see by Harry Dean Stanton. Mm -hmm. Sure, he's very sweet as the father in, what was that, Pretty in Pink that we saw by John Hughes? Oh, yeah, that must be it. Very sweet father figure in that. But I think he's doing, you know, a whole nother level here as very interesting. Can you recall for us what the plot description of Paris, Texas is, for those who don't know? It's about an estranged father that comes back into contact with his son. And with his son, him him and his son are going to go and find uh, the mother and try to set things right. There you go. But this is a time before cell phones, before, you know, easy to track people down. Right. And so it's it's quite an interesting look at how one would need to find someone. Um, I mean, I guess you're you're right about that. And you get to see a lot of L.A. and uh, all the busyness that, that makes up L.A., the bustling. Yes. So that's a Vim Vendors uh, film that was a, quite a delightful discovery on my end. My number five is Do the Right Thing from 89. This is a Spike Lee film, so anything Spike Lee, I'm totally on board. This In this movie, you have... Sal, an Italian owner of a pizzeria in Brooklyn, a neighborhood, uh, and then someone who works for him occasionally, I think, because it doesn't seem like full time, <laughs> points out that the wall he has in his pizzeria it only has Italian actors. Why aren't there any black actors on that wall? And he starts to see it as a racist symbol in their neighborhood. And tensions start to rise very very quickly that by the way the pizzeria owner is by played by danny aiello who passed away not too long ago Mm. and spike lee plays i can't remember his name in it but um he's the the employee in question Mm -hmm. a huge cast actually in that film mookie Mookie, yes mookie that's right a great cast great opening title sequence with rosie perez uh, dancing to fight the power. Uh, Sam Jackson is in it. Bill Nunn. So many great people. That's I'm, that, Is that like one of your favorite Spike Lee discoveries? Or your absolute favorite um, Spike Lee discovery? Because you've seen She's Gotta Have It as a reason. Yeah, it was a toss-up between She's Gotta Have It and Do the Right Thing. And I felt like, you know, both are really, really good. You know, Spike Lee just does amazing work mm-hmm. and tells it like it is mm. very cool so yeah my fifth favorite discovery is from the 70s again 1975's 
Three Days of the Condor, which is available on Amazon Prime. This is a thriller starring Robert Redford. Uh, basically, he plays a, a, a data guy, a researcher, who he steps out of the office, comes back, finds out all of his co-workers are killed. And he's trying to figure out what happened. What's Did going on? Did I watch on. this? No, you didn't. This sounds amazing. It's actually really good. And it, it's very good. I don't know if there, there's been a rash of movies kind of like this since this film came out. I'm not sure if there's a, a lot of movies like it before it came out. But Robert Redford is really good in it. And it's uh, got other stars in it that are, are really engaging and cool. It's, you know... On the level of the smart spy films or spy thrillers that we watch today and since even Born Identity and stuff, it's great stuff, you know, very much of its time in some ways here and there, but very fun, engaging thriller. That's Three Days of the Condor. That is my first movie that's available on a streaming service. It's on Amazon Prime. My number four is an Albert Brooks film from 1985. It has made Criterion. It stars Julie Haggerty and Albert Brooks as a married couple who, once he doesn't get the promotion he feels he deserves, decides they're both going to quit their jobs and travel across America. Um, This is where the phrase, the nest egg, comes from, at least in our household. And hilarity ensues upon this road trip and it's just it's amazing i love it their performances are great i laugh all the time in this film i love that film too it might be one of my favorite albert brooks movies he's he's got yeah, mine too style to him that's really witty and really funny and when he's frustrated it's hilarious my fourth favorite discovery is a year before my last one, 1974, The Taking of Pelham 123. What? One of your... The one that I want to see? Blind spots, yes. That's hilarious. I guess, like, the thing about this movie that's so surprising is how... Not downbeat, but how grounded it feels. Like, no one's a hero here. Like, everybody involved in the situation are just... You just believe them as total blue-collar, working-class guys that are just trying to work their way out of this extraordinary situation that does not happen every day to them, which is that a group of, uh, well, I guess you could say terrorists, but a group of men hijack, hijackers. Um, yeah, hijack a subway train. And there's like this whole like, you know, give us a certain amount of money kind of thing that's involved. Robert Shaw, the one of the villains of... Goldfinger and also the one of the main characters in Jaws stars in this actually the year before Jaws Walter Matthau is the subway not conductor what is he he's one of the guys in the ground control whatever you call it the main office of the subway station in in New York who's kind of the the main point of contact yeah between the hijackers and you know them uh, he's great in it and a very unusual role for him jerry stiller who recently passed away he has a small part in it a very straight uh forward part in it very unusual to see him in a non-comedic role but he's really good it's just a very enjoyable kind of crime thriller and it's worth checking out if you haven't that is the taking of pelham one two three 
Shanna, we're in your top three. <laughs> what is your third favorite discovery? My number three is The Night of the Hunter. And that is exactly how you have to type it in. The Night of the Hunter. Because <laughs> I did uh, put it in incorrectly earlier. From 1955. I fucking love this film. I want to own it. We don't own it yet. We will own it. The reason I love it is because of its amazing cinematography. Mm. And how Charles Lawton is really, you know, experimenting with all of it. And not only like just like throwing it together but kind of weaving it all together so it's this it's just contributing to the story and making it this beautiful piece of work i really wish that there was more that i could see from charles lawton but there there isn't this is it uh so it's about a family the father is sentenced to death after stealing ten thousand dollars uh nobody knows where the money is but he does confess to a, per- a person in his cell where the money is. This person poses as a reverend and goes and tries to get the money from the children, from the family uh, that is left behind. He and doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know where it is, but he know who the fam- He knows who the family is. Yes, so he befriends the family. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood and the community yeah. and the, the whole town is all of a sudden under this guy's spell. Yeah. And the children need to escape, and you know this is the night of the hunter. This is him hunting down, hunting them down to yeah. get the money. Uh, Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, if I remember correctly, uh, plays the the mother. Uh, Lillian Gish is a protective figure in it. Great cast. One of Robert Mitchum's best films. Oh yes, Peter Graves, who went on to do Mission Impossible TV series, also stars. That is an exceptional film. Uh, I really wish more people talked about it. You fell in love with it from frame one, practically. Mm -hmm. So that's a great one. My third favorite discovery is not one that I feel as ardent about, but is a really, really interesting discovery. Another Robert Redford film. This one from 1980. It's Brubaker. Apparently about a real-life prison warden. He comes to this prison ward and he first infiltrates it pretends to be an inmate so that way he could get a sense of how things are going what sort of room for oh, that's improvement cool. there is and how things are going and he discovers there's a lot of shit that is not okay in this prison <laughs> no kidding and so he reveals himself in the first act of the movie to be hey you know i'm the new prison warden just so you know and he he starts to get things in shape and I was really surprised how effective and how interesting and how good this film is. And, of course, Robert Redford is great in this. Um, I don't think enough people know about this film, Brubaker. I never hear anybody talk about it. When people talk about Robert Redford movies, they're like, oh, yes, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Oh, yes, All the President's Men. But no one talks about Brubaker, and I think it's worth checking out uh, for sure. It's, it's, a, it's one of my... Biggest surprises in my uh, journey backwards through time. So that's, again, Brubaker, Baker, 1980, my third favorite discovery. My next one stars Abbott and Costello. It is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein from 48. I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, This was so good. I want to watch it like right now. That's so delightful. Yeah. So 
They are railway baggage handlers.、Mm. Uh, so basically, they're cargo deliverers, and they need to take the cargo. To the museum, and it just so happens that they're transporting Frankenstein and Dracula, and you know they're transporting at night, and so scary things happen.、Uh, these aren't just wax figures they're transporting; they're transporting the actual beings, so it becomes rather funny.、Mm. Very cool. My second favorite discovery through our journey backwards through time is. 1981's Blowout on Amazon Prime,、mm. starring John Travolta as a sound guy who accidentally records an、something. accident. An accident. Yes, thank you. That's a, way, a good way of putting it. And some fishy business about that accident. And was it John Lithgow that also stars in it? Yes. Yes. As a bad guy. Well, he's a hired hired man. And、uh, <laughs> he's, he's a hired man. He is. We got him to do the lawn. Yes. No, he's a hired.、Uh, what would you call a hired gun, so to speak? Yeah.、Uh, whose you know his agenda is to take care of John Travolta and any loose ends. Anyway, I have issues with the third act of this movie. It does get a little bit. What are you thinking? A little bit bonkers. It's by Brian De Palma, who's a director I'm not a huge fan of, especially with his '70s and '80s work. But this one was quite the surprise, and it's two thirds of a great film. I really like this thriller. I don't think enough people are aware of it, but is is really cool. And、um, it's a shame that John Travolta's career kind of went downhill quickly after this movie for about seven to ten years. But anyway, this is a really good one. That's blowout from 1981. You can check it out on Amazon Prime. My number one discovery is 1930s. Not <laughs> what is your favorite discovery, love? Blah blah. <laughs> It's from 1939. The woman. I absolutely love this film. I love that there's only woman in this film. There aren't even men in the background. It is just woman, 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 and we get to really look into cattiness, bitchiness, sisterhood, everything in between. And it's it's just wonderful. You even get to see a little bit of like evil stepmother, you know, which is not my favorite thing, but it was done really well here. And I just absolutely love this film. It's the best. Don't watch the new one. Watch this one, please. It's a great social satire too of rich women. Too. Yeah, yeah. Because they're all rich, right? And so they are. There's there's no in between、right. happening there. But I I love how the movie goes from okay he's cheating on me I'm gonna go to a ranch to try and heal and now what's gonna happen and just when you think you've you've seen all the women that are gonna be in this film then more women appear and it's just really fabulous there's a famous color scene in there、oh. that's really odd during a fashion show so it makes sense kind of、uh, but you know if you're a fan of Vogue if you're a fan of fashion in any sense it's it's good for you to go check this out because. Uh, it's interesting to see, and if you're into fashion, you probably already know this. It's interesting to see how women were shopping for outfits. Oh,、then. yeah. Or maybe it was like a normal fashion runway, and this is how you shop for it. it. I don't know. It definitely seemed like high fashion. It was. The, it was those outfits. Really interesting. They were bonkers. Very hot kachal. Is that so, how you say that? No, I'm just playing. 
<laughs> my uh, favorite discovery through our journey going backwards through time is actually from 2008. It's on HBO now. It is in Bruges, starring Colin Farrell. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was a good one. Yeah, of all the discoveries I made, this is the one that I would watch the most. Wow. Uh, It's really funny. Colin Farrell is such a. not what's the word he's a party pooper dude he can't just enjoy (laughs) the scenery you know and uh, it's by martin mcdonough and who's the who's the other guy he's with philip no 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 No, no, who's mad i'm moodly yeah it's that guy it's that guy i am forgetting his name right now i'll quickly look it up i feel ridiculous for not thinking uh, or not knowing it off the top of my head but they're both hitmen by the way they're both professional uh, killers, and they're basically here waiting out for instructions from their boss. Uh, they're killing time in Bruges. And who plays their boss but the wonderful and delightful Rafe Fiennes, who is... it's uh, Brendan Gleeson, by the way, is the uh, co-star in this. But Rafe Fiennes is... <laughs> hilarious this is that famous you're an inanimate object line yes. comes from yes in ray fine's first scene actually he <laughs> goes off on a rant and and just totally goes uh, just uh what's the word explodes on his wife annihilates his phone and then yeah. his wife intervenes yep and he just explodes all over her. But he does say sorry afterwards, which is nice. Fair enough. Uh, Clemence Posey also stars. Uh, one of your favorite character actors, Zelzko Ivanek, also stars in this. It is a funny film, uh, occasionally viol- violent film. Saren Hines also stars in it. It's just really great. And it might be Martin McDonough's uh, best film, He of Seven Psychopaths and oh no you know what I, I i'm sorry it's his second best film three billboards outside ebbing missouri is a great film mm-hmm. but in bruges my favorite discovery through this entire journey going backwards through time available on hbo now but listeners if you've been listening along with us what are your favorite discoveries from our film faves list that you have checked out after we have recommended to you? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to about do it for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with everybody where they can find you online? Oh, you can't find me. No, I'm just kidding. That's it's not true. <laughs> on Instagram, Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. And then on Flick Chart, Spellbinding A. Excellent. And that's it. You can go to the main website, thegibsonreview.com, to find all the features, articles, and past episodes of The Movie Lovers on there. As a matter of fact, there are two new features on there and film faves where I have done a two-part post outlining our absolute favorite movies year by year, going backwards through time from 2019 all the way to the silent era. 
So feel free to check that out, thegibsonreview.com. You can go to the social media, Facebook slash The Gibson Review, or Instagram, which is more engaging, more fun, The Gibson 99. I do polls, bracket polls on the stories there very often. And right now we're actually in the top eight of your favorite 30s movies at the time of recording that'll probably finish up in the next three days uh we already did favorite biopics previously your favorite biopic was the wolf of wall street which i believe was shanna's favorite biopic as well we're winners (laughs) (laughs) so soon we'll be doing uh favorite silent films and we might even shake it up and do some sort of like what's the most egregious blind spot sort of thing but go ahead find me on the gibson 99 on instagram join in the fun there and also i'm on flick chart the gibson 99 as well shanna next time on the movie lovers Uh, We will probably do a main event review of Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, which is available to rent right now on Amazon. So if you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. Film Spotting named it the best movie of the year so far, which I find intriguing because never, rarely, sometimes, always was one hell of a film. And so I'll be interested in seeing if First Cow can... um, do better, more or less. We'll also, in film phase, be continuing this series, these aftershocks, if you will, of going through uh, backwards through time. This time we'll be counting down our favorite actors and actresses of all time. So we'll have each of us six actors, six actresses that we will be talking about in that segment. So you can look for that in a couple of weeks on tuesday in august i think the 18th but i could be wrong uh but keep watching on instagram and facebook for updates on that in the meantime keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye-bye